police in the morning. Welcome, B-Movie fans, to another B-Movie chat. Perhaps the most important question of our age, right up there with, are we alone in the universe? And what is the meaning of life? Is what exactly is a B-Movie? Before television, movie theaters were the primary source of entertainment, visually. Theaters would show a popular feature film that the audience would come to see. However, the main showing would be followed by a lower-budget film, often of inferior quality. These low-budget films became known as B-movies, while the more expensive and more popular films that preceded them became known as A-movies. However, despite changes in viewing preferences, the term B-movie has survived while the original purpose of such films has long since been abandoned. The term B-movie has become confused and seems to vary from person to person. Some people will describe any low-budget film as a B-movie, while others will call any movie of poor quality a B-movie. The term B-movie persists despite the ambiguity of its meaning, so today we will be discussing what exactly is a B-movie. Joining us today is filmmaker, B-movie legend, and founder of Polonia Brothers Entertainment, Mark Polonia. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Thanks for joining. Oh, love having you on. Yeah, so, yeah, that's the big question. What is a B-movie? And I mean, it's that's a that, that's that, a tough question. And that that classic thing always comes to mind. And we're we're fortunate enough here in Pittsburgh where we still have one drive-in theater. So I mean, they do have you know two movies playing, but they're they're both A movies anymore. Yeah, it's disappointing. So like, I just I, I wish for the day that I could see you know the the A and B movie together. True. But I don't know. I to me any. A B-movie just has some kind of terrible quality to it, whether it is big budget, low budget, or something. Um, just a quality that just, for some reason, doesn't seem to work, or is so bad that it makes it work even more. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, like you had said, you know, a B-movie was a second or third feature, sometimes both, that was either produced by... A major company or it was it was uh, you know financed outside of them to be you know uh, shown on a, pa a double or triple bill but you know those days are gone um, the interesting thing is is that a lot of b-movie units kept big major studios open because their movies consistently made money while their movies didn't so it was kind of a parasitic um, relationship you know they they were embarrassed that they, they had these movies in their library and that they made them, but that's probably consistently the only thing that made them money on a regular basis. You know, once once the, um, and that's where B-movie comes from, A-B picture. Now, that, that playing field's gotten skewed. Um, I guess technically now, if, if we look at the old definition, a B-movie is anything that doesn't play theatrically. Um, or, you know, like people say, you make B-movies, and I'm like, no, I don't make B-movies, I make micro-budget movies. You know, a, a, a low-budget movie or a B-movie is like between three and eight million dollars, and I sure in hell never had that much to make a movie yet. Um, so what is a B-movie? Um, I think a, I think a B-movie is is any kind of film that, that uh, goes out of the norm. Um, it's made independently of a huge Hollywood system. It somehow manages to get released. It somehow manages to get watched and reviewed. Um, 
in a B movie, I don't think can be really classified by budget. Um, you know, B movies don't really exist. If you look at Kong Skull Island, that's a B movie. It just costs $180 million. Because that's the kind of movie that a big studio would have, would have sub-produced to have uh, on a double bill with Hello Dolly back in the day. You know, that's the thing. You know, B movies were often an embarrassment to these companies, but they stopped making them. They stopped outsourcing because they decided we'll make them ourselves. And they, you know, turned out in the form of Star Wars is just a big budget B movie. Jurassic Park is just a big budget B movie. I mean, I don't care w what they say. They aren't A pictures. They're just, they're, they're expensive movies with B movie ideals and mentalities because they know that's what works. So I think your definition is correct. A, a B movie is some quirky idea or some, some strange, fantastic plot that somehow, you know, defies the norm and, and entertains people. I guess that's the simple definition of it. Yeah, it's definitely strange because nowadays um, they'll be like, "Oh, this is a low budget film," but it's made for like a million dollars. It's like that's that's not a low budget as far as I'm concerned. But there's so many movies that yeah, are made multiple millions of dollars that like it's it's very hard to describe. And then yeah, I mean, should a movie should a movie cost 180 million dollars? Think about that. You could end world hunger if you made ten of those movies at that budget. And, and entertainment is so disposable these days. Like, uh, you know, the new Star Wars movie. When the original Star Wars came out, I was there. That movie was in a theater for a year and a half, nonstop. The one that just came out, already gone. Oh, my God. It's already yeah. gone. It's, it's that disposable. The, that doesn't make it a bad movie, but that's the generation and that's the world we live in now is that something that huge and expensive and overhyped and over-advertised in one month is completely forgotten. And that's one of the things. I I, I love the, the original Star Wars trilogy. You know, I will say I enjoy the prequel trilogy for having grown up and seeing them all in theaters. But seeing um, what was The Force Awakens really like has deterred me from seeing new Star Wars things because there was nothing new, there was nothing original, and, like, was it entertaining for the two hours I sat there? Yes. Do I want to sit through it again for any reason? No. Like, so, do, I, like do I remember most of it? Yeah, I don't even remember most I, of it. I didn't see Rogue One when it just came out because I was like, eh, I mean, I, I saw The Force Awakens, and, and um, yeah, I saw it, like... Yeah. It was, like, very manufactured, like, y you could tell that there was somebody in a boardroom, like, going with a checklist, like, well, we need this, we need that, and I kind of think that's one of the things that separates um, most B-movies from A-movies is, not that an A-movie doesn't have a story trying to be told, but I feel like when it comes to, like, independent films or what would be considered B-movies now is, it doesn't really think about, like, well, I need this, this, and this, it's like... I have an idea and I want to get it made and I don't really have like a million people like telling me how to make my film. And I think that at this point, like most B movies don't have a ton of people making a film. It's still somewhat individualized. Like I remember um, like reading the original script from uh, star Wars 
it's um, very different from the final product, but that's because they had a bunch of people going through it, like re-editing and re-editing. And you see that more and more now. Like I, I heard some movies will have like 45 different edits, and then if you look at the original version, it's a completely different film. And it's just, um, I feel like now right. one well, thing that would be considered B movies is something that it'll have a few rewrites because you, you got to have a couple rewrites, rights, but like it'll have as few rewrites as possible without losing the original story. And that right. Means- well, again, you know. That's the thing. Movies made at that level, there's so much gambling on it that there's and there's so many people with their hands in it and they all want a piece of it that it's 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 destined to get muddled. You know, it's just there's so many people's visions in there. It's not like the old days where the director was in charge. The director has no power today on a movie unless and there's very few directors that do. But most of the time, it's the producer or the studios, and their job is to sell tickets. And they're not going to sell tickets if they make Last House on the left. They're going to sell tickets if they make, um, you know, Star Wars or something. Something that's has to be so homogenized that anyone could watch it. They cannot make niche movies. They can't because they'll lose, they'll lose their shirts. And that's where independents and B movies succeed, is because. They can take a risk, and occasionally they'll get noticed and picked up. But they, they, you know, they're daring enough to take the risk and go. I don't, I don't care if I'm the only one that sees this idea or this potential. We're, this is how we're going to do it, and that doesn't happen on major productions because there's so much money at stake. They can't afford to make one risk. It's all got to be. They got to play it safe every step of the way. And that's why we see like reboot after reboot anymore. What what was successful back in the day? Well, let's just let's just make that again. Yeah, they're selling the title. Yeah, why did Poltergeist need to be remade? Why, why do we have to? Is aren't they on their the third? The genius idea was that. Aren't they re remaking Friday the Thirteenth? I think so. Yeah. Or, or are they re remaking the uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street because they they messed up Freddy so bad with the uh, the um, child molester story? Aren't they, aren't they remaking? Yeah, aren't they rebooting Halloween again? Oh my god! Yeah, like that was one movie with um, when Rob Zombie remade it. Like you took, you missed, and I, I like Rob Zombie, but he missed the point of so many things. Like I, we didn't need a big backstory of why he did this. We liked it was good when we didn't really know why Michael Myers was the way he was. He was like a force of nature. He just kind of killed. Because a force of, of evil. Did. Exactly. And that was like part of the appeal of it. And it's like they try explaining it more. It's like it's like the remake of um Black Christmas when it's like they try to give the um character the, too much backstory. Yeah, too much backstory. It's like, no, you missed an integral part. Like it like sometimes less detail is more and I feel like a lot of um bigger companies are like, Well, people aren't gonna like that. They're not gonna understand that. Like we need to hit, hold their hand to explain every bit of it. And it's like, no, people like to analyze things and think about films that they're watching now, there right was- yeah i agree i agree you, you you said it no one could have said it better than you just did like, there's um there's another question that gets brought up to us sometimes and that is um is every movie that's independently made considered a b movie is it a b movie no just because it's independently made and that's what i say is is no yeah, i don't think so um because someone brought up to me um the movie moon have you ever seen Moon? Mm-mm, it's mm-mm. it's about um, one man who manages this uh, space station on the moon. 
Um, and if I say anything more than that, it will spoil the entire movie. Um, but it is, it's, it's a fantastic movie, but it was, um, you know, whoever brought it up to me says it was an independent movie, you know, low budget, you know, you really only have, like, the one actor and, like, two, you know, two other people that show up once, you know, on a video screen, um, and I said, like, absolutely, like, like, no, that this, you know, just because it's independent, you know, does not mean that it's a B movie. Like the the movie, like everything works out perfectly for it. And I I mean that's that's to me one of the things in a B movie is something has to either look like it has gone wrong, or like purposely meant to look that way, um, <laughs> or both, or, or both, <laughs> or something like went wrong that like doesn't seem like it went wrong. Like just you know if the acting is like just different than what the concept of the movie is trying to be like. You know, you can just, it, it can be thrown off that way. I mean, it's its kind of like the movie The Room. Like, it's supposed to be this very serious drama, but just because of, of Tommy Wiseau and, you know, the people he has in the movie and their acting ability, it just comes off as this, like, it comes off as a black comedy when it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Right, but, right. But going on that, I think that, kind of like what you said, I think a B-movie has to have some kind of budgetary or, like, restriction that they have to get through like it's where they don't have all the resources that they need and they have to you know kind of be creative i think that part of what makes a b-movie fun is whether it's successful or not is it's overcoming some kind of restriction that a an a movie run by a big company has and right and people don't people don't get that and that you know a typical b movie back in the day when they did b movies uh was like a hundred thousand and then you had companies like monogram and prc and even aip american international pictures they made b movies for other companies that then would release them and they get a percentage of the share but they, you know, they knew the bottom line. They knew we can't spend a fortune on these movies because we're only going to make this much back. And um, I read somewhere, Monogram, who, who gets a lot of shit about making terrible movies, which is not the case. They made some really good movies. But the average profit on one of their movies in the 40s was $1,982. That was the average profit of each one of their B movies. So... If you're operating on that kind of a profit margin, which even then wasn't huge, these people knew how they knew exactly how many days they needed, how much of this, this, this. They had it down to a science because if they spent more, they were losing money. So they had a little racket going, and, and I think some of them did really well. But the majors saw, wow, you know, these guys are making these these little movies. Let's just take the ideal and pump millions and millions and millions of dollars into it and do the same thing. You know, Jaws is a big budget B movie. You know, it's nothing more. That's all it is. It's a big budget B movie. Well, I mean, well made, granted, and with some, you know, Robert Shaw and uh, Richard Dreyfus and the other guy. You know, uh, you know, they weren't slouches in the day. Um, but there's just that one so, line. You know, throws it into that category and that's I think we're going to need a bigger boat and just just that yeah, line it's, just, in it's a glossy it ver it's a glossy version of what has come before a million times they're just putting it in a different package that's all pretty much yeah uh, and I think I think that's that's another thing that you know 
makes makes some some movies B movie or gives it that quality is just the the one liners, just the sense of humor yeah, that some of these people have. Well, and that's that's another well, great quality. Advertising. Let's let's talk about how they used to advertise movies. I mean, if you look at a movie poster today, they're terrible. They're boring, they're unimaginative. Typically all they have are floating heads. I mean, you look at a movie from you look at a movie poster from the sixties or or whatever. I mean, look at the poster for Land That Time Forgot or Invasion of the Blood Farmers or whatever. I mean, they were very imaginative and they were, you know, they were really trying to sell the concept. And you look at a movie, I would never see a movie today based on the poster. What's it? Somewhere, never. Yeah. I, I forget what company it is. They're really they're re-releasing a lot of like 80s horror movies right now and using um concepts from the uh from the poster art. Um, and the one that really stands out to me is Motel Hell, because you've got mm. the the guy with the pig head and the chainsaw, and you've got like some other stuff going on in the in the corner, and then like just stuff is going on all over the poster, and you are just like, what the hell is going on here? Well, I think I like the poster for um, right. That, that's uh, I, is the pig is the guy in the pig head on the on the poster because he wasn't in the original. It, it showed the two people, and it said it takes all kinds of critters to make. Farmer Vincent's fritters, and it shows the people with their heads sticking out of the ground. <laughs> the pig was in the trailer, and that's I, I mean I didn't like Motel Hell. I think it was I think it was cleverly marketed, but I think they did that because they didn't know what kind of movie they had. It wasn't a horror movie; it was a black comedy. That's, um, yeah, the, the most and the, movie the, the chainsaw oh, pig yeah. thing was just a small part of it, which I thought was the best part. That's what I was. It was so disappointing to suffer through that movie, only to you know the payoff was limited to none. It's about five minutes of it. Five minutes of it. Yeah, I mean that movie could have been five. And the guy, the director is a good director, Kevin Connor. He did, uh, um, he did Land the Time Forgot, People the Time for you know he did a lot of stuff. He's a British filmmaker, but he's I mean he, he does he's he's a good director. I just think the material was just bizarre or maybe they decided we're not going to make it a horror movie we're going to make it a comedy but it certainly had potential that i think got missed yeah well that's like a big thing with like entertainment in general is how it's um basically advertised like there's so many bad like hollywood films or like even books that are out where like the description will sound good and it'll get people hyped and then people will like it. It's like this movie wasn't that good. It's just you were hyped for it beforehand, and yeah, it's like right. um, I think that's a lot to do with it. Like if you can get people talking about something, then it it should still be good to be remembered. But like it, it'll still kind of succeed regardless. And, and that's why you see like a lot of movies today, like like the new Star Wars movies, where what is. What do they tell you about the movie really before it comes out? It's the new Star Wars movie. Yeah. They don't want to tell you what's going on in it because then you'll know. I don't want to go see this. It's a New Hope part. Yeah, well, yeah. And they, they oversat. See, things are so different than when I was a kid. When I was a kid, you opened up the newspaper to see what was playing at the theater, and you looked at the black and white poster in the newspaper, and it, it, hopefully you knew someone that saw it. There's word of mouth, or you saw the trailer, but. I mean, it was exciting. It was an adventure. Everything today is so oversaturated that by the time you go to see the movie, you've already seen it. You already know what's going on. You, you know, you fill in a yeah. little. Yeah, you fill in a little. And and again, that's because these movies have such limited shelf life anymore. They have to just they just have to shove it down your throat 
to get your ass in the seat the first weekend is after that ticket sales fall off and then people forget about the movie. I mean, how sad is that? I mean, how sad is that that something like that is here and gone that quickly? It should last, something like that should last a long time. It should be in the theater for months and months and months. Definitely. But again, you know, you're spending $180 million for, at this point in, in theatrical runs, your first weekend is what they base the success of the movie on. You know, it's rare that a movie does better the second week than it did the first. It does happen, but for, for the most part, it's like after the first week, that movie's dropping off. Some other big dud coming out, um, often by the same studio. But it's just, it's, it's oversaturated, and the payoff's never good, and it's just, it's here and gone. It's, it's, it's sad. I guess, you know, things change, but never used to be like that. I love just, you know, thinking about trailers. You know, one of the movies we watched recently was Twins of Evil. And, um, you know, the, the old horror ones where they just, they they told you the title like five or six times in the in that great narrator voice. And they played like two clips like between that. And you'd get like a five second snippet. And then like this clip that you've seen three or four times. And then, you know, the title, then a new snippet, the same clip you've seen three or four times. And then the title, and I just I love yeah. those trailers because you're like, what what are they not showing? Like if they keep showing me this one part, what are they not showing me? Like are they not showing me it because they know it's not quality, or are they not showing it because they don't want to ruin what's happening? Like I love I think it's the like latter. I think they did it. Uh, well, some movies they did it because there was nothing good to show, but most often than not, that was a way of luring people into the theater because. You know, I, not only did they have a nice glossy poster, but they used to have uh, one sheets and lobby cards. They don't do that anymore. Um, but you used to go into the movie and you could see what was playing next week. There would be a poster, there'd be lobby cards that would show you scenes. It'd be like, wow, I'm coming back. Uh, you know, they don't do that anymore. And uh, a lot of times the lobby cards would fill in the blanks. The poster would fill in the blanks. And some of the press kit material that would be in the paper. So, you know, there was this stream of feeding you the movie a little bit at a time because it was cheaper and that's that's all they could afford to do and even radio ads but now it's just like it's just it's shoved down your throat immediately and so fast that you don't even have time to take it in and think about it and uh and it's a way people are programmed people people's attention span is all than it used to be so i guess maybe they have to count i mean someone gets paid a lot of money to come up with these these uh theories or whatever <laughs> how to market a movie but it my just favorite, seems like it's the so my favorite trailers are still the ones for like um attack of the um 60 foot woman and things like that where it's just the narrator talking about like the plot and it's like you won't believe your eyes and it's like i miss trailers like that because they kind of yeah the plot but you know you still wanted to see it well, well, and people are so people are so jaded today. They went, you know, they'd laugh at something like, "You won't believe your eye. yeah, right." I could go on the internet and see things that'll shock me. I don't need you to tell me about. It. You know, that, unfortunately, that's that's also uh, you know comes into play is is uh, you can you can you almost can't out shock or out sensationalize something today because people are just so numb to 
all that because of, of social media and, and, you know, the emergence of the Internet and things like that. You know, it's, it's changed the game, so to speak. I was I was fortunate enough a couple of years ago to um, go to there was a local uh, one screen theater that was doing a 45th anniversary screening of of Night of the Living Dead with an original 35 millimeter print. And uh, it was the first time my wife had ever seen the movie. And, uh, you know, in the movie, when when Ben slaps Barbara because she's getting hysterical, the theater like erupted in laughter. And I just like like my jaw like hit the floor. I'm like, what what is wrong with you people or why? Why are you laughing at this scene? Like, this is not a comedy. It's it's not funny, like for a man just to slap a woman like 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 you said, like just views have been skewed so much about films and people thinking, oh, you know, this is shocking, you know, this or that, you know, in the context of, you know, 1968 for a, a, a man of, you know, black skin to hit a woman of white skin, especially on screen when he is the lead character most, you know, pretty much. It was just so powerful for the time and to see that it's reduced to, you know, today's society, oh, that's funny, he hit her. Like... Yeah, because well, yeah, they could turn on TV, they could turn on any reality show and see ten times worse, you know. It, it, yeah, people are just jaded, and, and um, it would take a lot to shock a person today, I think, in the true sense of the word. And I always, I always liked that the, the whole shock factor when people are like, "Oh, I've have seen the worst that movies can can give me. I've I've seen the Human Centipede," and I'm like, "Have you seen Cannibal Holocaust?" And they go, "No." I said, "Then you need to go watch Cannibal Holocaust." And uh, yeah. yeah, they never. That's do. a rough. There's um. That's a rough. We um. There's very few movies. There's very few movies um, that I think hold up as far as their shock factor. Cannibal Holocaust is certainly one of them, and I would have to say, I Spit on Your Grave is another, the original. We, um, Paul and I had an anthropology class together in college, and um, we, we watched the movie Rollerball to, to talk about society and the influence of things on it. And um, we asked our professor, we were like, hey, have you ever seen Cannibal Holocaust? Because it's about an anthropologist. And he was like, no, like... We were like, well, would, would you like to see it? And we told him about it. He's like, sure. He's like, maybe we can even watch it in class if it's, you know, anthropolo anthropologically like accurate of how we study and stuff. And um, so I brought him the, my copy of it. Um, we went to class the next the next time, you know, went up to his desk after class was over. And uh, he hands the movie back to me and he goes, no. And then he like, <laughs> like just real, just no. And then. We were like, oh, was it was it uh, you know not appropriate? He goes, he goes, oh, it was you know a wonderful. He said it was a great movie. He said it was very accurate to how anthropologists study civilizations. But I cannot show this here because even though I'm tenured, I will get fired. Yeah, unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's like, and it's it's one piece of film that we always say like, if you are interested in film or you love film, you have to see it at least once. Because it it just has such great impact. There's a lot of talk. Oh about yeah. That one. Yeah, sure yeah I, I saw I saw it once. Uh, I just I mean it is a good movie, but I don't think I could ever watch it again. I I've seen it uh, three or four times, and every every time there are certain sure. scenes where I mean I just 
my my I clench my fists so hard because it's it's so hard for me to watch what's going on on screen. Yeah, what's the what's, yeah? Um, it's rough. You know, another movie I thought was powerful, and this may sound shocking from a guy like me, but the original Lord of the Flies. Did you ever see that movie? No, I've I've only read about half the book. The, ori- the the original movie that was made in 1961, I think, in black in black and white. That movie is powerful. Even today, that movie is like it could have been made yesterday. But man, that movie and it's a really low budget movie too. It was made by some British company, and they used you know kid kid. They shot it over a summer break, and they used all these kids who'd never acted before, and. Um, this is a really striking film made by people who I don't think had ever made a movie before, and it's a little rough around the edges, but it works. But wow, that movie's that movie still has an impact, you know. However, fifty some years, sixty years later, it's incredible. Yeah, that's one thing that's a shame is you talk to a lot of people about film, and a lot of people can't look at the time period and appreciate things of how it was made back then. Like, I recently watched the um, 1925 version of Phantom of the Opera, and it's an amazing film. I mean, it's all in black and white. It's it's um, not... Um, there's, it's a silent film, but it's it's a great film. Like, it's the visuals mm-hmm. and how, it's, how they tell the story. Like, it's absolutely a phenomenal experience. But so many people I've talked to, it's like, why would you watch a silent film? Like, well, because it's a good film. Right. Like... Yeah, Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is another really Green good film. Oh, yeah, that's definitely. But that's, I, I worked at a, a haunted house for the first time this past um, October. And uh, at our little, like, orientation thing, one of the things they asked was, you know, what's, what's your favorite movies? And, um, you know, of course, I was, you know, 10 years older than anybody else that was just starting working there. Um, and they were all in their, their late teens. And uh, every one of them said something that came out like within the last year. And yeah, I'm yeah. like, I'm like, when I was your age, my favorite movies were like The Evil Dead, and uh, you know, John Carpenter's The Thing, like movies that came out before I was born. Like, it it, it just it amazes me because today, like you said, if it's if it's not thrown up in your face, kids today and people today they don't go to see it. Like. I mean, even when, when we were growing up, and, and Paul and I aren't that old, I mean, we had to search things out. Like, you couldn't just, you know, hop on the internet and, you know, see what what's what. You know, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think, you know, in a way, John and I were lucky, because I think we were, to a degree, we were born at the right time to at least experience movies that we never would have seen, because... Um, you know, when we were kids, there was only a few channels, and then all of a sudden, cable TV came out. It's like, wow, now there's all this stuff to watch. And then, and then the explosion of home video, and then DVD. I mean, we were just we were exposed to so many different genres and different movies. We had those not occurred, or we would have been born a little bit sooner or a little bit later. We, I don't think we would have experienced them to their fullest. And uh, you know, it was just so neat watching movies on tv you never heard of or you know referencing them in monster books and magazines like oh yeah this is mentioned this let's it's on tv let's watch it or going into the video store and looking at all the boxes and picking out what you wanted and a lot of it you never heard of because it never got 
huge release or it was retitled or it was a you know Italian movie or a German movie or Spanish movie or something like that. But That's you know, it was just real. When when we still had the video stores around here, like I would see kids in the stores, and I just wanted to like like grab them by the shoulders and shake them and be like, "Do you know how lucky you are to be walking around a video store right now?" Yeah, like, they're gone. It's, I mean, it's except really for something culturally that I I truly miss, and I you know when, when I have kids and they're old enough, I, I will I will probably drive cross country to find like a video store just to be like, "Hey kids, this is what we used to do to find movies." Yeah, I think Family Video is the only big chain left, and that's who we we had around here. Um, and two of two of them closed down within the last year. Hmm. Um, there's still one somewhere in the area, um, but it's it's somewhere, and I don't know how to get to it. Yeah, I think Redbox is hurt. I mean, oh. Family Videos they stay. I think they have like 900 or 880 stores, but. I would think Redbox is hurt. And, you know, I'm not a real good predictor of uh, emerging technology because when I, was in, when I was in high school, we had our first computer class, and it was such a frustrating experience because the teacher teaching it didn't know anything about computers. The computers never worked. They split our class up on different days, so that he was always confused as to what our assignment was, and it was just a huge exercise and frustration. On the last day of school... I threw my notebook in the garbage, and I said, we will never use a computer for anything when we get older. And uh, look where we are now. I said the same thing about nonlinear editing. Someone said, hey, yeah, you can edit a movie on a computer. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I edit on tape or film. You know, look where we are now. And then someone said, Redbox, yeah, you just it's like this kiosk. I thought, oh, that won't last. And I, you know, I was wrong every time, so I, I can't predict technology, but... I'm shocked Redbox lasted. Yeah, and it was funny too because you know uh, Blockbuster tried tried to do that to survive. They had their blue boxes, but Redbox had just already cornered the market, so to say. Well, Blockbuster was always behind the eight ball, so. I actually don't think Redbox is going to be around much longer since streaming is becoming so much easier. Like, now they've got, like, different genres specifically for streaming. Like, they've got Shudder for horror films and all this other stuff. So, it's... I, I don't predict it being around much longer, but I, I have no idea, to be honest. I think it'd be... Yeah, well, better. I mean, if, if, you can, if you can take the equation out of people having to do something to exert themselves... It'll be successful. The only reason I think Redbox is successful is because they're always by Walmarts. Pretty much, yeah. And they're like the biggest chain store, so anyone who goes into a Walmart is going to fi find them. But had, you know, had they been across the street next to a Dairy Queen, I bet you they wouldn't be half as successful. So you have to wonder if they're tied in with Walmart somehow because you never see a Walmart without a Redbox. I'm sure there are other places, but... It's it's one of those things I always say is is it's all it's a race who's going to rule the world Walmart or Disney, like that's that's my big question. Well, I think at this point Both. Amazon's got like uh, is in the running for that until Amazon is acquired by like Disney and then it's all over. Yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, and again, you know, you have you have video on demand and streaming. I have a, I have a Roku and you know you can get these free channels and there's this one horror channel. I don't even remember what it's called, but it's got like 
1,300 different movies. And I know half of them aren't public domain, so I don't know how legal it is. But um, A lot of those you know, it's have like, like the commercials. Well, people don't even have to leave their home to go watch a movie anymore. Because, yeah, I, I love my Roku. I mean, I've I've watched plenty of stuff on there. Because um, we have, um, you know, a, a chain around here that sells, you know, used movies. And, um, you know, I'll see stuff and then... You know, the first thing I'll do, I'll pull out my phone, see, okay, is it on Amazon Prime for free? No, well, let me know. You can know to what this is. I go home, I flip through my four or five different, because the Roku has, like, a thousand different, like, just horror or, or grindhouse movie channels. Yeah. I'll flip through, is it free on here anywhere, anywhere before I, uh, you know, go and spend the money on it? And nine times out of ten, it's on one out of those, like, eight horror movie channels I have on Roku for free. Yeah, yeah, and you wonder how. Like, how do they make money? How does a channel like that make money? Uh, some of them have commercials in the movies, and some of them have, like, a feature where it's, like, the movie's free but with commercials or 99 cents to watch without commercials. Yeah, I, I don't... I, I, well, a lot of times I get, like, 20 minutes into most of them, and it just stutters and stops, so I rarely finish anything. Oh. But it is, an, it is an interesting concept, and... But again, it's it's uh, you know as a business, the profit margin on something like that's extremely low. So I think it's volume. You know, you have to make it up in volume. And I always I always thought Netflix was gonna die like early on. Like I was always a big like Netflix. Netflix is stupid. Until like I got Netflix in like 2012. We have it, but I we often watch Hulu more than we watch Netflix. Yeah, Hulu's more with, like, um, movies, whereas, like, Netflix is more like different TV shows, I yeah, think. Nowadays. Yeah, nowadays. I, I remember watching Netflix in college, because Paul had it, and there were, like, a whole 15 movies that you could stream, and you've never heard of any of them. Yeah, that really, that really came full circle. Like, I didn't think most people thought streaming was going to really pick up, but... I kind of thought it might be because back like before that, people were torrenting films and finding ways to download them because it's like okay, I can what I can go to the movie theater, buy, watch this for like eight bucks at the minimum, and you know it may or may not be good, or I can f try to find it somewhere in a video store, like drive all the way there, and it might suck and spend twenty dollars on it, or I can you know find it on the internet for free and. You know, you're not really supposed to, but, you know, there were ways to do it if you really wanted to. But then streaming right. came along. It's like, all right, to get rid of the hassle of maybe getting a virus and, you know, technically breaking the law, you know, I'll spend like a couple bucks a month and I have all these movies. So it ended up being a really smart idea. Because if I remember correctly, like torrenting and downloading went down a lot after that. Yeah. Well, I mean, and again, in a business model... If you're at the top of the food chain on that kind of an idea, then you're doing great. But for the rest of them, it's, it's got to be a struggle. I mean, again, it just shows you how disposable stuff has become. You know, people don't even want to spend 99 cents to watch a movie. They'd rather steal it. So it, it's just, it's always, you know, when, you, when you're, no matter what you do, it's always a battle. There's always some new kind of technology that you have to embrace, but then there's also the abuse of it that hurts you, so... I, you know, it's it's a catch twenty two, but you can't really look at it that way. Um, 
because there's always going to be people that you know steal movies and steal stuff because they're just too lazy to pay for it. or they think they're entitled to it for nothing which i don't agree with at all it's like somebody worked really hard to make this and you're just gonna like find it online for free it's like that's yeah crazy. yeah well it's an it's i use the analogy like this it's someone stealing your movie is no different than me taking that person's brand new car after they just drove it home and they want to go show it to someone and I take it without asking them and I let my friends drive drive it around and their friends drive it around and then eventually I decide to take it back and pull it in their driveway and say, hey, uh, yeah, we enjoyed your car, but now it's not worth anything. You know, it's, it's the same thing. You're taking somebody's work and stealing it, passing it around. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of BitTorrent sites. I think they should all be taken down because it's illegal. It's stealing and it's illegal. But, but until somebody sues the ass off of companies and YouTube and places like this, it'll continue to happen, and that's what it's going to take. You know, if I was a major company and I saw my movie on YouTube, I wouldn't go after the person that put it up. I'd sue YouTube. You know, that's when they're going to they're gonna crack down on people that do the stuff like that because they don't care. You know, I tried to fight that battle once, not with them, but with someone else, and they just pass you along, and they're not going to kick someone off their server who's paying them money. Yeah. You know, they're going to it really is a It really is a skewed way of, of, of dealing with something, and, and until, until someone major with money takes a stand and does something about it, Nothing will ever change, and you know I hope that day comes. You know, if, if one of these companies got a hundred and eighty million dollar, two hundred million dollar lawsuit and lost, you can damn well bet they'd be checking every person on their server to see what material they have. Up. That just reminds me of like what happened in Napster. Yeah. And it, like it was like yeah. a week ago or something. My wife came home from work and she was like, "We were listening to Napster at work today." I'm like, "What? That's still what are you thing? talking about?" Like, yeah, apparently Napster's now a pay service. Hmm. Like, good at least. Like, like I don't know if it's the same Napster or not, but it was just one of those like things. I was like, like Napster hasn't existed since like 1998. What are you talking about? Yeah, I remember like a few yeah, years ago there was a big up. like controversy about like BitTorrent and um the Pirate Bay oh. and things like that, and people were like, oh well, you know, it's not really stealing. And I'm like, well, isn't it? Like, aren't you just arguing that you should have the right to take something for free? I mean, it's I, I couldn't figure out the argument. People were getting so mad about it. I'm like, you know, you don't actually own this the rights to the film. Right. right? No, there, there, there is no argument. If you upload somebody's movie that isn't yours or you aren't licensing, it's stealing, period. It doesn't take anyone with half a brain to figure that out. If, you're li if you disagree, you're foolish and you're lying to yourself. And, you know, maybe 10 years in jail would change your opinion, but it's stealing, period. There is no other way to put it. Pretty much. I do think that, like, the um, the streaming sites, the ones you pay for, like, a m monthly now, really kind of cut, have, have really helped with, like, getting rid of, like, the illegal downloading, like, because you really don't hear about it that much more, more like... Nowadays, um, I'll talk to people who use uh, iTunes and things like that, and they really don't have a problem paying for it because it's... It's just, available. Yeah, it's available, and, like, really, like, it seems like it's such a pain to, like, torrent things. It's like, you know, you're, one, breaking the law, two, 
probably going to get a virus on your computer, which will end up costing a lot more than that movie you wanted. So I guess well, it's a payback's karma. a bitch. Yeah, so you like, know? karma comes in the form of um, cyber terrorism. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, again, and a lot of people may just be plain ignorant as to what they're doing. You know, again, the digital age has not, not helped the matters much because it's easier to. You know, it's so much easier to take a movie and put it up there and let people see it. Now, you can't blame the people that watch it because they don't know, but the person who uploads it, the one who physically did the uploading and has put it out there, they're the ones responsible. They're the ones that should be penalized. Uh, we had a movie, we had a movie, um, Dark Sleep, that was, we didn't realize it, it was on YouTube for three months and it had 80,000 hits. Now, we should have legally been able to charge that person that uploaded it or YouTube $10 a hit. Yeah. I mean, that's fair, isn't it? I'd settle for five. You, you know, you put our movie up there and it, it, lots of people saw it for free who shouldn't have. This, this is fair value. You know, Especially we should have been YouTube is in the range. We should have been able to bill somebody for that. We should have built, we should have been able to build, bill YouTube or the person that put it up there. Exactly. Yeah, because they're in that because, business now. I mean, I see it all the time. Oh, this movie, three ninety nine, four ninety nine to watch. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, but to put it up there and think that ever, you know, think you have the right to do that, and then other people watch it. That's. I can't believe I can't believe YouTube allows what they do. I mean, I'm not busting on YouTube because there's a lot of good, but. There's a lot of stuff on YouTube that I, I just don't... Who's minding the children? That's the question. Who's minding the children? Yeah. And YouTube, like, they do not do a good job policing their their um, platform. Yeah. I think with YouTube, there's, like, so many people on it. Plus, there's, like, a, a couple tricks I'll see people do is, like, they'll have a different, like... Um, border around the film, um, around the uh, movie playing, where I guess it... It makes it harder for people to track it because it's not just the movie. It's like they'll have um, like the movie will be like on a um, surrounded by like a picture, and for some reason that like makes it harder for like YouTube officials to find. There's also, some people will speed up the movie slightly, and that like makes it harder because it'll be like a different amount of time in the actual running time. And they're like little tricks people do, and. I think, like, now people are starting to catch on to it, but I, I noticed that for a, for a while, like, there are, like, certain things that, like, will um, kind of, that YouTube won't be able to notice, and people will have movies running for, like, sometimes, like, years, and it, it's definitely, um, it's clever, I mean, it's dishonest, but, like, I don't, I think they're, they're um, catching up, and unfortunately, there's always going to be something that that like youtube and like other sites haven't figured out yet and then until they do they can't really do too much with it right right but it, you know again it's it's unfair to the people who worked on the movie to have somebody do that it's just i just i guess to me i don't understand why somebody would do that i mean why would someone do that now, speaking it's of just people, people in movies there's a question i've wanted to ask for a while when you guys made Splatter Farm, and I, I can't remember the actor's name, but Jeremy's grandma, how exactly did you go yeah. about asking her to be in the film? She was, uh, that was uh, the, the guy that played Jeremy, that was his real grandmother. 
she owned the farm we filmed that so we had to put her in it because we didn't have anybody else <laughs> and she agreed to do it so Dude, that's pretty awesome like especially the scene she's in like i can only imagine like going up to um was it you or your brother who um ended up getting molested by her that was me yeah no we we you know we explained everything very carefully and and um she understood what was going on and and uh you know, yeah, it's gross, but again, a lot more is implied in some of those scenes than you see, which was clever on our part, but still gross. But she, we explained the scene, what we, you know, what we needed to do, and she was cool with it. I mean, she was really, she was a neat person, just in general. And I, I, I don't know if she's still alive. I, I lost track of her. Um, I suppose I should find out. That would be interesting. I saw her once years and years ago. And uh, we had, you know, she laughed about it. We had a good conversation, and I, I've never seen her since. So I'm, I, I sadly, I don't know the fate of Aunt Lacey. Well, that's what we, we've said before is, like, her performance in that movie, like, it may, in fact, be one of the best performances ever when you look at the backstory for Aunt Lacey where, you know, her brother raped her, her son is, <laughs> you know, this homicidal maniac. This shock, and she's just in, in yeah. total shock, and she just... That's just how she, you know, goes along with everything. As we said, like, when you really look at it, like, she is just so perfect in that role. Like, oh, yeah. She is. She did, no, she did a great job. And she really, you know, we had to work with her. But she still, um, you know, we had a script and she, we rehearsed. And she, she was on board the whole time. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, we were very fortunate. She could have thrown us out at any point, and I, I probably would have thrown me out at certain points too. What's funny is, um, speaking of Splatter Farm, was I was for some reason a couple weeks ago watching The Walking Dead. Like I don't know why I keep watching that show. It's I'm, it's, it's a train wreck. Yeah, it's like I, they, they've drawn me in, and I just can't get away yet. But um, at one point, uh, the character Negan says to another character, like, got a name, asshole. And all I can think of was in Splatter Farm when they say to Jeremy, got a brain, asshole. Yeah, or that's, that's where they're eating. If you look close, uh, Todd actually almost starts to... He, he laughs, but then he does that Snickers to cover up for it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, like all we have for lunch is a, what, three pieces of a sliced ham and... A glass of water or something. I can't even remember. The lemonade. That's how clear that production was. <laughs> oh, man. It was fun to make, though, I have to admit. A lot of good memories making that. It was uh, it was ahead of its time, that's for sure. Definitely. It's a fun film to watch. Like, um, just, like, seeing everything and, like, knowing, like, you guys were pretty young when you guys made that film. So it's, like, just... 17. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, that's a fun film. I think that, like, really personifies, at least to us, like, B-movies. It's like, it's like, we've got an idea, we're going to make this film no matter what. And, you know, you really, there's a lot to appreciate about films like that. And I, I feel bad for people who, like, just overlook things, or it's like, oh, you know, it's a low-budget film, I'm not going to pay attention to that. Like, I listen to a lot of, like, other reviewers, and they'll look at, like, you know, low-budget films, and they, all they'll do is criticize it, and, like the movie wasn't that bad. Like you're just looking for reasons to criticize it. And it's really a shame. Like, cause you, there's so much to appreciate about films, like films like splatter farm films, like, um, 
this a lot of different low budget films and that's one thing with this podcast we've always tried to do is just try to like we, like, we give yeah. a top and bottom three like what yeah. we we look for what's good and you know movies like that, that we're like oh i love this movie well what could be different about it, or what could be improved or what don't we like about it like you have to look at the whole spectrum of everything to really appreciate what it is it's like our tagline yeah. is uh... yeah because you know and that's a good point because you know, when making a movie is hard, and you know when you're on the set and there's things going wrong, you co- you're constantly thinking, you're constantly trying to move things ahead. It's you don't you don't often have time to stop and think about, oh well, what's how someone going to react to this or this or that, you know. And you sometimes you take shortcuts, but at the end of the day, you made a movie, and it's it's easy to look back at some. Hindsight is easier than foresight, so. It takes me a couple years to watch a movie after I've finished it because you're still so close to it with it should have been this, should have been that, you know, whatever. But, you know, you, you don't – when you're on the other side, it's easy to look at it and go, oh, why did we do that? Or we should have done this or why didn't we do this? But, you know, it's too late then. It's too late. Um, you, you live with your decisions and and the film is what it is because of those decisions or lack of them or good decisions or some kind of a spontaneous idea. Um, it works for it or against it. And there's no such thing as a perfect movie on any level. Certainly not the budgets we work with, but it's a miracle. We should call ourselves miracle films. It's a miracle this movie. Definitely. It's just, um, I think overall it's just about having fun and knowing that, like, you've got an idea, you're going to make it, and you're just kind of making it for the art of making a film, not, like, to make money or to, I mean, make money's nice and all that, but it's like, you know, just the idea of, like, <laughs> yeah, crafting would be Occasionally, would be nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you, if I, if I did this for money, I'd have given it up a long time ago and picked a sensible profession um but yeah you, you really have to love it to stick with it and it's funny because you know a lot through the years when we started making movies there was a lot of people doing it and very few of them survived you know very few of them made more than one or two movies and they just disappeared my brother and i and you know i singularly have made almost 50 so that's you know that says something and i i always tell filmmakers that it's like you're going to have people that, that criticize you. You're going to have people that don't get it. You're going to have people that think they can do better. And, you know, you, you, here's what you tell those people. Get get beside me. Get behind me. But don't get in front of me because that's what you're doing. And, and uh, you know, anyone who makes a movie, anyone who makes 50 movies, despite whether you like what they've done or some are good or some are bad, you can't take that away from somebody. There's more... There's something there that you can't take away from somebody, despite what you want to, how you want to classify them or their films or whatever. You know, not many people can do that. Not many people would do that. So, that's that's advice to low budget filmmakers: is just to hang in there and do it for you. So, I mean, a, a B movie is something that you really have to define for yourself, but it's got got those quirks that uh, make it unique or make it fun. For you. Yeah. Yeah, and it's self-defining, I think. I think a B-movie is self-defining, you know? Yeah, I think when you think about it, B-movies are the most um, pure form of film there is now because it's just an idea somebody has and it's just completely theirs and not like, 
a corporate kind of thing. Like, even if it's made in like a small production company, it's still it's still a work a work of art where whether it fails or not, it is purely their vision. And I think right, right now um, B movies are like I said the purest form of um, filmmaking. Yeah, because there's no interference. There's no, we have to do it because of this demographic. We have to do this because it opens on March, a, a big weekend in March, or we've got to beat the July big rush of summer. Yeah, we're making movies because we love making movies the way we want to make movies. Well, Mark, thanks for coming on with us again. It's been fun chatting. Definitely. Thank you. I'd love to come back. It was great. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. It means as much to me as it does to you, so thanks. Thank you very much.